This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Definitely the baseball offseason because a short time ago, I was at lunch with my mom and they had NBC Sports Network on and uh, evidently Chase Field in Phoenix is playing host to drone racing. So <laughs> it is fully the offseason. Have you ever <laughs> seen drone racing, though, outside it's of so this one cool. experience? It's so cool looking. Yeah, I've never seen it like live or anything. But uh, yeah, it's definitely I get it, man. I mean, drone racing is basically a real life 90s video game. Like that stuff that like, you know, when uh, I don't know, the original PlayStation or something came out, uh, there were what was that one game? for super nintendo where you're like oh god i'm not gonna be able to remember the name of this this is gonna drive me insane but where you're like falling from the sky and you have to go through the rings on the way down oh no i I don't Uh, remember this one the only thing i was thinking of it was it's almost like tron in the sky okay in a way you know tron the video games yeah 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 pilot wings pilot wings pilot wings it was called Wow, that was a quick thank, Google. Thank goodness, SNES game falling from sky brought up that uh, <laughs> title because I would not have known. But you know, drone drone racing is kind of like that. <laughs> yeah, sure. Let's yeah. continue. <laughs> uh, no, it's just it, it it just seems so futuristic in in such a way like we were promised this at some point right, in our lives. Exactly. That at some point, not only cool like yeah. this is going to come along. Yeah, that is true. It is very true. And here, here it is. We live in the future. And that's evidently what Chase Field does over the offseason. So now we all know. Um, so, hey, with that, we welcome you into this week's episode of the show before the show from MILB.com, episode 238. My name is Tyler Mon with your nonsensical ramblings and uh, with your serious baseball knowledge and insight is Sam Dykstra in New York City. Hi, Sam. Hi, Tyler. And I guess I'm the one bringing the Jeff Bridges references. Uh, yeah. This yeah. as well if that's going to be my niche i will fully own it i'm totally okay with that <laughs> look for a true grit uh random yes reference at some point that's later in this outstanding um yeah uh the the remake you're not going to go john wayne original references oh no i'm talking about the jeff bridges movie this is right, totally right, right. a jeff bridges podcast now i'm actually wearing an eye patch that is okay. the true grit reference nice. that's that's go. what we're going to go with. yeah I like it. Um, so uh, we welcome you in. We talk about minor league baseball on this podcast, the show before the show. It's a pun, see? They call Major League Baseball the show, and this is a show that talks about minor league baseball. Get it? Uh, so we're uh, diving into three strikes for this week's episode. But before we do, we thank you for joining us on this week's episode of the show before the show. Uh, and we know that you know that you can give us a rating and a review and a subscription wherever you find us. You can also get in touch with the show, podcast at MILB.com. And you can get up to speed on Copa. And uh, as we announced just a couple of weeks ago, more than 20 new minor league teams will join the Copa de la Diversión Chase in 2020, the Hispanic Fan Engagement Initiative, fresh off its second full season. And congratulations again to the Mariachis de Nuevo Mexico. Uh, celebrates the cultural contributions of Hispanic communities across over 90 minor league cities through culturally significant on-field identities, in-stadium accommodations and entertainment options, and community impact. Copa celebrates a Hispanic community whose love for the game of baseball has driven the sport forward. Visit MILB.com slash fans slash Copa or follow Minor League Baseball on social media at MILB to find out more about each identity and initiative. Let's get started. Three strikes. We talk about three burning topics across the world of Minor League Baseball and uh, topic the first this week. The Rule 5 draft is in the books and some names that you've heard of and some names that you maybe have not uh, changed teams last week at the winter meetings in San Diego. Uh, And Sam has the lowdown on all of them. Sam, what uh, are the biggest takeaways from the Rule 5 draft this year? Yeah, so this is something we teased out at the end of last week's show because we recorded just before the Rule 5 draft, didn't want to get too much involved in a preview in which 
those of you listening over the weekend would already know the names. Now we have them for sure. We've been able to chew on them for a week. Uh, 11 players were picked. I believe that's the lowest since nine were taken in 2013. Uh, the Rule 5 draft, it, it's always exciting from a minor league standpoint because this is a chance for guys who aren't on 40-man rosters to get their major league chances. Uh, but the effectiveness of it in recent years has kind of worn off a little bit. Uh, you know, it's, it's difficult to find rule five success stories, guys who are sticking for a full season and succeeding, not only doing that, uh, last year, only three of the 14 players picked stuck with their teams for all of 2019. Those are Richie Martin with the Orioles, Elvis Luciano with the Blue Jays and Brandon Brennan with the Mariners. Uh, none posted a war higher than 0.1. Uh, so when we look at success stories like Brad Keller in 2018, who had a 2.6 war or Odubel Herrera, who had a 3.8 war in 2015, uh, it's a little bit more difficult to say like, oh, hey, you know, get really, really excited about this group. That being said, there are some really interesting picks here. I'll, I'll run through them real quick and we'll talk about who's most likely to stick of this group. Uh, the Tigers went with Yankees right-hander Rony Garcia at number one. Brandon Bailey of the Astros went to the Baltimore Orioles at number two. Sterling Sharp, a former Nationals prospect, now goes to the Miami Marlins. He'll be trying to crack that bullpen. Stephen Woods Jr. goes from the Rays to the Royals. Johan Ramirez will try to join the Seattle Mariners bullpen coming from the Houston Astros system. Uh, Mark Payton goes from the A's and also Team USA. Tyler, you called many of his games yeah, uh, during fun, the Premier League. Yeah, fun player. Yeah. He goes from the A's uh, to the Cincinnati Reds, trying to stick with them. Danny Jimenez goes from the Blue Jays to the Giants. The male machine goes from the Cubs via the Phillies to the A's. The Phillies made the pick. They traded him to the A's. The A's now have his rule five rights. Uh, Trevor McGill goes from the Padres to the Cubs. He'll try to stick with Chicago. Jonathan Aruz goes from the Astros to the Red Sox, where he'll try to be a utility infielder. And finally, Michael Rucker goes from the Cubs to the Orioles. The Orioles being the only team with multiple picks, they make two there, again, in Michael Rucker and in Rony Garcia. Now, in terms of who I think is most likely to stick, you, or I'm sorry, the Orioles also took Brandon Bailey. I got those confused there for a second. Rony Garcia again went to the Tigers. Uh, in terms of who's most likely to stick, again, you have to keep this in sort of this historic context of three of 14 last year. It's very unlikely that more than half of these guys are going to make it this year. So we have to kind of temper our expectations a little bit. Uh, when I did a tool shed on this going from one to five for stickiness level, that's what I call it. Uh, I only gave out one five and that, and that's to Brandon Bailey. Uh, the Orioles rode out last year with Richie Martin in their infield, uh, despite him having a pretty difficult year jumping from the A system. This is clearly a team, you know, they, they've made some interesting cuts. They've traded away Dylan Bundy this offseason. Um, they've got rid of Jonathan Villar after he was arguably one of their better players last year. They are trying to give young talent a chance and, and trying to carve out roles, um, you know, for long-term projects. So Bailey kind of fits into that now. He's now their number 21 prospect in what is an improving system. Uh, he's got three above average pitches in his fastball, curveball, and change. He had a 3-3-0 ERA and struck out 103 and 92 two-thirds innings last year at AA. So he's basically major league ready. Uh, the Orioles said ahead of the Rule 5 draft that they were expecting him or they were expecting to take somebody that would provide rotation help. This is essentially what Bailey can be. Uh, they're going to give him a long look in that rotation. He would have to really struggle uh, not to stick with them for the full year. And even then, they might stash him as a long reliever if they want to look at other starting options. And we know some of those are coming right around the corner for that Baltimore system. Uh, some of the other fours, uh, Rony Garcia going to the Tigers. The Tigers are in rough shape coming off a 47-win season. They're going to have the roster space on their 26-man roster. Uh, they could have had anybody. They had the first overall pick. They go with Garcia here. Um, you know, He's got a mid to upper 90s fastball. He's got a solid breaking ball. That's more or less typical Rule 5 stuff when we're thinking about, okay, what, is, what does this pitcher have that could pitch in the major leagues right now? Um, you know, He's been worked as a starter in the Yankee system. We know that Yankees team. Their 40-man roster was already chock full of talent. Tough to find a spot for Garcia. He now becomes 
Detroit's number 21 prospect. Um, so again, they can't afford to just lose talent um, at, at a time when they're probably not going to win this year anyways. Try to keep Garcia around. Try to mold him into the, the type of pitcher they believe he can be. I gave his stickiness potential a four out of five. Uh, Sterling Sharp, I mentioned him in, in a preview a while back. He was kind of a surprise, non-protected pick by the Nationals. Super elite uh, ground ball pitcher, which I think really works in today's game in which a lot of guys are trying to elevate the ball. He's going to continually get you to pound it into the grass. Uh, the Marlins are going to use him as a long man out of, out of the bullpen right now. He probably can't crack their rotation, but he has a history as a starter. Uh, I think he's got a really good chance there. Uh, one that I, I find really, really interesting was Johan Ramirez going from the Astros to the Mariners. Uh, among minor leaguers with at least 100 innings in 2019, Johan Ramirez had the highest strikeout, or the eighth highest strikeout rate, excuse me, at 38, 33.8%. And then he also had the highest walk rate at 15.8%. So essentially about 52% of the batters were either striking out or walking. A, that's an incredibly modern pitcher, but it's also an incredibly volatile one. Uh, I think, you know, the Mariners are kind of in the same space as the Tigers and, and the Orioles, maybe to a lesser degree. They should win a few more games than those other clubs. But, you know, they're going to want to stash talent as well. The thing is, Ramirez could potentially strike everybody out in the spring and carve out a bullpen role for himself. Or... He could really struggle with his control, and it's difficult to stash those guys when the, there's the potential of you bring them in. You know, when we have this new rule coming in for 20, 2020, in which relievers or any pitcher really has to face at least three batters or get to the end of an inning. If he faces three batters and walks all three, that doesn't do anybody any good. Um, so he's going to have to really harness that control. The stuff is there. I just, it, it's tough for me to bet on pitchers with tough control, even if he is moving from a starting role to a relief one. Um, one who I, I just don't see sticking, and a lot of these guys I, I don't see sticking. If I haven't mentioned them, it's probably because I don't see it happening. But the Red Sox going with Jonathan Aruz. Uh, Aruz, some of you might know, came over from the Phillies and what was at the time the Ken Giles, Mark Appel trade, a lot of guys switching sides in, in that one with, between the Phillies and the Astros. But um, you know, a, a pretty good defensive player has really struggled with the bat the last couple of years. He only has an OPS above 700 once in his five minor league seasons. The fact that he's a rule five pick, okay, you know, 26 man roster now. The pitchers are capped, I think, at 13. So there's going to be more space for these utility types, and he could certainly be that. But for a Red Sox team that for all intents and purposes, should be a contender next year, should be trying to contend. The idea of them carrying a Rule 5 pick and one who, you know, it's really difficult if you've never hit minor league pitching to start hitting major league pitching. Uh, and to stash a bat like his for a full year, I just don't see it. It got even more complicated when they signed Jose Ferraza, uh, who could potentially be exactly the same as a ruse with at, at least he's seen major league p pitching. Um, so that is a one. I almost would give it a zero. It, I don't fault the Sox for bringing him in and, and trying to see if it's going to work. But, um, you know, at this time when rule five picks, we have to really scratch our heads and say, OK, what are you going to do to change the tide and actually be somebody? I just don't see a fit here. Uh, but go to the, the tool shed, um, you know, check that out and, and see what I think about some of these other guys. We could make a whole podcast out of the rule five uh, picks, but for the most part, just know you're looking at this through the lens of yes, it's exciting to add these guys, but for the most part, most of these eleven will not be sticking uh, for the duration of 2020. Strike two this week, likewise a tool shed column, and it is the one from yesterday. We're recording on Wednesday the 18th, in which we name the uh, all MILB team for the 2019 season. A lot of guys who probably won't surprise you, some huge names across the minor leagues like Luis Robert and Gavin Lux, um, and some other names that maybe you haven't been uh, quite as keyed into just how good their 2019 seasons were. Sam, run us through the all MILB team this year. Yeah, so I'll just run through the picks real quick and then circle back to some names that, like Tyler mentioned, maybe we haven't mentioned for most of the year. Uh, catcher, I have David Friedis, who split his year between the Milwaukee and Seattle systems, mostly playing at AAA. Kevin Crone at first base. Yep, the guy won the Bauman Home Run Award. Of course, he's going to be here. Second baseman, I have Josh Rojas, somebody who got traded from the Astros to the D-backs. Uh, 
At third base, I have Ty France, somebody we talked a lot about this year. Shortstop, Gavin Lux, should not be any surprise. Outfielders, top 100 prospects across the board. I tried to do this prospect blind, but uh, this was really difficult for me to pick anybody else other than Luis Robert, Dylan Carlson, and Jared Kelnick. Uh, Utility player, which is usually a fun one for our organization all-stars. I had some fun here as well. I went with Jared Walsh of the Los Angeles Angels system. I'm going to circle back to that one in a second. Uh, right-handed starter, Joe Ryan of the Tampa Bay Rays system. Left-handed starter, again, a familiar name, Mackenzie Gore of the San Diego Padres. And then relief pitcher, we had a relief pitcher Milby award. Uh, I couldn't go with anybody other than Jackson Reese of the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, some ones I want to kind of circle back to because it's just – Again, we haven't mentioned them that much this year. David Friedis actually won the minor league batting title this year. He hit 381, which was the most among minor league full season qualifiers. Corbin Joseph was second at 371. Uh, yeah, that came in a year where AAA started using the major league baseball and offense took off at the minor top level. Uh, but the fact that Friedis beat anybody else uh, among full season qualifiers by a full 10 points really stood out to me there. And the fact that he did all of that as a catcher which we know is a defensively demanding position uh, to do that well offensively as well. Give some bonus points there, move him there. Uh, Second baseman, Josh Rojas. Uh, There was an interesting story that came out after the trade involving Zach Greinke in that, you know, the the two sides mostly had an agreement on who was going to go over from Houston to Arizona for Greinke. Uh, and, you know, Seth Beer was involved in that. Jay Lukaskis was involved in that. Corbin Martin was involved in that. It seemed like, okay, they, they could settle on those three. And for the Astros, somehow, Rojas was the tipping point. They weren't really sure if they wanted to let him go uh, because he was having such a strong season. This is a guy, He played multiple positions this year. He actually, after the trade to Arizona, mostly played outfield, but because he mostly played second base, in the minors, where you have him in the second base slot here. He finished hitting 332, 418, 606 with 23 homers and 33 stolen bases. Tough to find any other second baseman with a more exciting year than that in the minor leagues. Um, one other one I'll, I'll throw out there Walsh is the, the one I wanted to come back to. Uh, one of the Angels ranked prospects, he comes in at number 20. Everything that stands out with him it is his bat for the most part. He finished third in the minors with 36 homers, uh, hit 325, 423, 686 in his 98 games at AAA Salt Lake, which is a 1.109 OPS. That was actually tops across all full season minor leaguers. He was going to have a spot on this team at some point. The reason he moves to the utility spot is he also pitched, and we're not talking about spot duty here and there. Uh, he legitimately got 13 innings and 13 appearances with the Salt Lake Bees, usually threw around 93. That was his average fastball in the majors when he did get some chances there. At a time when I've said before, you know, the major league roster is going to switch to 26 and they're going to allow for two-way players as a designation. Walsh has a little bit more value. The fact that he could do both and do both fairly well, he had a 4.15 ERA uh, to go with those 36 homers he hit as a hitter. Uh, that's really special stuff, and, and that's what got him here over you know, maybe some other really, really good hitters that could do a lot with the stick but didn't have the same two-way potential uh, that Jared Walsh did. So those are the picks for all MILB team this year. Uh, I want to stress one thing is that this is – my these are my selections um this isn't you know something that was handed down by somebody this isn't minor league baseball's official team this is more or less my thing uh but it's a way to celebrate the best of the best from the 2019 season and that brings us to strike three and we uh wrap up our opening segment with a couple of deals that uh caught our eye from some hot stove action uh one of them a dude who i've had a prospect crush on for quite some time uh buddy reed goes from the san diego padres to the oakland athletics uh formerly the 25th ranked padres prospect as the player to be named later to complete a december 2nd trade uh an original deal which sent jerks and profar to the padres and austin allen to the a's uh buddy reed has been in that system for four years 2016 second rounder um the defense has been great uh really good speed not a ton at the plate as of yet um and the other deal steel walker 
one of the uh, best rank or best names in minor league baseball, was traded to Texas in a deal that was kind of baffling actually when it happened. Uh, Steel Walker, of course, formerly the sixth ranked prospect in the White Sox system and a second round pick out of Oklahoma in 2018, an outfielder. Um, he goes for Nomar Mazzara, who goes to Chicago, uh, which was kind of I think caught a lot of people off guard. But same your reaction to these two deals? Yeah. So the Buddy Reed one was actually very interesting because Buddy Reed went unprotected by the Padres on the 40-man roster. He could have been picked in the Rule 5 draft. Didn't. The second he didn't get picked, basically the A's announced like, oh, by the way, he's a player to be named later. Um, so that was kind of an interesting wrinkle. We're going to have to keep an eye on that because that also happened with another deal. We talked last week about Will Wilson, the 2019 first-rounder, going uh, from the Angels to the Giants. Well, another person who got involved in a, as a player to be named later, and that was Garrett Williams, uh, who was also Rule 5 eligible, didn't get picked, then gets used as a player to be named later. Uh, but Buddy Reed has tools across the board in athleticism, and I do like that he joins the Oakland Athletics. I think that's really apt. Uh, but in a really, really gifted uh, outfielder, tons of speed to work from. It's just the hit tool that's going to uh, you know, be in question and the power as well. Uh, you know, he's 24 years old, played at the University of Florida. He'll actually be teaming up again with A.J. Puck. They were both Florida Gators at the same time, so that's kind of special and fun. Um, but he hit just 228 with a 698 OPS this year, 14 homers, 23 stolen bases. Uh, he played at Amarillo, which is, as we found out this year, a really, really good park for hitters. Um, even then, couldn't crack a 700 OPS in the Texas League. Uh, you know, he's going to have to show something with a stick because as good as he could be as a fourth outfielder and just chase balls down as a you know defensive replacement or pick up bags as a, as a pinch runner, you have to have some value with, with, the, uh, with the bat as well. And it's not quite there. That's why nobody took him in the Rule 5 draft. That's why, uh, you know, the Padres allowed him to go unprotected. Uh, the A's will try to hope try to figure that out for him and, and try to unlock something in him because everything else is already there. If he can just hit and be an average hitter, he brings tons of value everywhere else. So kind of exciting to see him get a, a little bit of a change of scenery and see how things can work out for him as he enters his fifth minor league season. Uh, Steel Walker was a second round pick in 2018 out of the University of Oklahoma. Uh, hit 284 with an 811 OPS this year, 10 homers, 13 stolen bases between Class A Kannapolis and Class A Advanced Winston-Salem. Um, you know, flipping him for Mazzara feels like the White Sox are buying low on Mazzara. We talked about him as a top 100 prospect in years past, and it always felt like, okay, he's going to work it out, he's going to work it out. Never quite got to the, the ceiling we all envisioned for him. Uh, the White Sox swoop in. They're obviously trying to contend in, in 2020 with some of the moves they made. So they move him. Uh Walker joins a, a Ranger system that is kind of heavy on these types of, of, of players. He, he becomes the number 12 prospect in the system, but he's beh ranked behind Leody Tavares, ranked behind Bubba Thompson. Um, you know, what is he going to do to kind of break past that? We'll have to see. Uh, doesn't have necessarily a plus tool on the board. His hit tool is seen as above average, uh, but he doesn't really have the arm to maybe stick in center field. He's just got average speed. Uh, could certainly be you know, a league average outfielder or something like that if he hits the ceiling. But uh, to get basically just him for Nomar Mazzara, who is still filled with tons of potential, still fairly young, uh, was a, a bit of a head scratcher for my end. But um, you know, we'll see what the Rangers can do with Walker now that he is a Texas Ranger. And that wraps up three strikes on this week's episode of The Show Before the Show. The fourth-ranked prospect in the Detroit Tiger system joins us on this week's episode of the show before the show, the final one uh, before the end of 2019. Tarek Skubal, who uh, jumped into the Tiger system in 2018 in the ninth round out of Seattle University and rocketed through his first uh, full professional season this year with Class A Advanced Lakeland and AA Erie. How's the offseason going, man? Thanks for joining us. What's uh, What's been going on? Yeah, thanks for having me. The offseason's been good. Um, just settling into a house and doing a little remodel uh stuff and that's pretty much it 
So this first full pro season for you, um, I would imagine when you look back, probably feels like a, a whirlwind. You were in short season ball uh, last year in both the DCL and the New York Penn League in your draft year. Made it up to uh, the Midwest League and got a few games in with West Michigan. But this year you go wire to wire, 24 starts. Uh, and the numbers from those 24 starts with Lakeland and Erie, like if you're looking at Derek's MILB.com page, you probably think like, did somebody put these in wrong? Because they're like that good. Uh, a 6-8 record, a 2.42 ERA, 179 strikeouts, and 122 and two-thirds innings. Uh, when you look back on this year, what what does it feel like to have that first full season under your belt and have it be a season like this? Uh, it's awesome, just from a confidence standpoint, too, being confident out there and um, and being consistent every game uh, and start to start trying to be as consistent as you can and then Obviously, once you see success, the confidence starts to grow. So uh, it was huge for me to start my career like that. When you uh, got into pro ball, um, you get drafted in 2017 uh, in the 29th round by the D-backs. You go back to school at Seattle U, uh, and the Tigers come for you in the ninth round. And that first season, we talk so much to college guys about how long that season can be uh, when you get into your draft year, you get sent off to your first pro stops, and you're playing really a a season from January and February uh, in your college year all the way through August into September – for you especially, coming off of Tommy John surgery that took out your 2017 and a lot of your 2016, that must have been exhausting. And obviously the, the Tigers very much were mindful of that. You only go out for nine games in that debut season. But to have that first year under your belt, um, what was the summer of 2018 like, kind of getting acclimated to, to pro ball and being healthy again and all of that really all at the same time? Uh, it was good to just kind of establish a routine and um, take care of the body because you are playing for a very long time. And you are away from home for a very long time too. Um, so it was good just to establish a routine and start taking care of my body, whether it be from January through September or a season of like April through then. So, And whether it was that year or this year, especially because, uh, you know, you really hit the ground running, only giving up two earned runs in your first three starts. But at what point did you feel like, okay, this is really going to work for me. I'm not just an average ninth rounder. I'm going to be somebody who can climb up this Tiger system and really find that consistent level of success that you've found so far in your career. Um, I'm just very confident in my ability and and confident in how I carry myself. And I know what I bring to the plate. I know when I tow the rubber, uh, I, I kind of just really believe in myself and I trust what I'm trying to do. And I try and just pitch to my strength. So... I don't really necessarily think uh, where I'm going to start or where I want to climb, but it's more of just being confident in myself and pitching to my strength and just kind of controlling how much effort I put into things. And that's, that's what my focus is on. And when you look back at what Tyler mentioned, the, the Tommy John surgery knocked you out for a lot of 2016, all of 2017 at Seattle, Arizona comes calling and you decide to go back for one more year Going back to what that spring was like with you know your, of your eventual final draft year uh, with Seattle to where you are now as a pitcher, trying to build yourself back up to a healthy standpoint, but also a successful standpoint. I know you struggled a little bit in with control in that spring of 2018, but what has allowed you to grow to where you are now? How do you think you've changed the most as a pitcher? Um, I think it was just mentally I struggled a lot in college when I was coming back I was just trying to do too much and just not being myself uh, on the mound just trying to be a perfectionist which I think there's a time and place for trying to be perfect and executing pitches but um, just being really hard on myself and and I was out of the game for like a year and a half just not competing in a in a college environment you know and um, that just took some time to get adjusted it felt like I was a freshman all all over again trying to control um like the anxiety that comes and control your breathing and all that stuff but uh, I mean getting back into it and just a longer time I was out there on the mountain uh and pitching I think that was huge for me and then just staying healthy as well Mm. and when you did enter the tiger system obviously the results have been here but what have you latched onto in terms of their pitching philosophy or their pitching development that you believe has helped you take off in this way as well uh they've always just put me in a position to have success uh i mean i've been pretty open with them in terms of what i'm doing and they've always put me in places to have success and and build confidence that way so uh, 
I mean, that that's huge. That's a huge part to me. Derek, that system right now um, is so loaded with pitching prospect, and you right now are the the third ranked prospect in the organization and the fourth ranked prospect overall. Casey Mize at number one, Matt Manning at number two, uh, but even the re- the rest of the top ten, Franklin Perez is at number six, Alex Fido is at number nine, Joey Wentz is at number ten. Some guys who I know scuffled a little bit in AAA this year, Bo Burrows and Kyle Funkhauser are still in there. Um, it's a system that has such good depth at your position um, from both lefties and righties right now to be you know, and obviously this is more of a kind of spring training question um but even a question of just being in the the same clubhouse as some of these guys as you were with casey last year and matt um what is it like being with a group that's so deep at your spot i mean it's one thing to be a talented and ranked prospect you got so many other guys who are making that climb with you who are so talented at that same position what has that been like for you yeah, it's uh, it's awesome to be around those guys and those guys that are extremely gifted and extremely talented and watch how those guys work. I think creating that environment where everyone's competing with each other, that's, I mean, iron sharpens iron, you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, being around those guys and trying to learn from what they're trying to do or see how they're having success and, and understanding how you can apply that to your game or understanding that you're different than these guys. You just, you're, uh, you pitch differently and understanding that, but also understanding what they're doing in certain situations and, and the experience that they have and the knowledge that they have and, and that they're all, everybody's willing to kind of help each other out, which I think is very unique. Um, but yeah, everyone, I feel like everyone wants everyone to have success, uh, whether it be me, uh, Casey, Fiedo, Manning, Wentz, the list goes on of the guys that I've played with. So it doesn't matter. I feel like everybody wants each other to succeed and, and play well with each other. How much is the the conversation about? I mean, one of the things that I think is always coolest to hear about from pitchers is when you learn something from another guy. You know, the the famous story, obviously, of Mariano Rivera teaching Roy Halladay his cutter and that kind of thing. What what do you like learning from other guys, and what do other guys come to you to try to learn about what you do? I like to learn as much as I can from from everybody. You know, whether it be how somebody takes care of their body or certain pitch grips or something like that. I mean, I learned my my slider, like slash cutter thing from uh, Adam Wolf. I was like, hey man, I know you throw a cutter. I did my like research on him coming into the draft, and we were with each other in Connecticut. And I was like, hey man, how do you grip that? Like, I gotta learn that pitch because that's something I'm trying to add. And he showed me it, and I was like, all right. And then the next, like, I think I had an outing two days later, and I was like, I might as well try it out right now. And ever since then, I've thrown it a, a lot, whether no matter what situation I'm in, you know, it's been a it's been an important pitch for me. So, um, I mean, that's something huge just in terms of asking something so simple as a pitch grip, but also, like, man, he's got the big power curveball, and that's something that I'm trying to add into my, uh, like, pitch repertoire and he's been very helpful to me with all that stuff and while we're talking about repertoires and arsenals and pitches you have going for you um you know what do you feel like was most effective in generating the amount of strikeouts you you got because tyler mentioned how many strikeouts you had on the year but just to read out for people who don't know your body of work your First, let's hear your first six starts with Erie. You got 11 strikeouts, 10 strikeouts, 13 strikeouts, down to six, and then back to back 10 strikeouts again. You were getting whiffs the second you got to double A, which is a big jump going from the FSL to Erie. Um, you know, how were you able to get guys swinging and missing that consistently? What about your pitches changed this year that allowed that to happen? Um, I felt like I was just very aggressive and competitive in the strike zone and just kind of let my stuff play over the plate and I, and I wasn't going to back down from a hitter and I, I felt like I was always getting strike one and then after strike one, getting strike two. And then that's a situation where you can do a lot of things. You can expand off the plate. You can expand up in the zone. You can do a lot of different things and, and you can get away with mistakes sometimes too, when you're ahead in the count, just based on what the hitter is, is trying to do or what they're trying not to do, which is strike out. So I think that was just huge to me is just getting ahead and getting that first pitch strike and then working from there. Mm. And I know control, you know, we mentioned it before too, that final year at Seattle, it seemed like the control wasn't fully there. And I know you mentioned a little bit of what went into that and trying to be too fine, but I know control is something that takes a while to come back after Tommy John surgery. Uh, Sometimes guys have it, but sometimes it's a process getting back. What allowed you to get it back eventually? And, you know, what was that process like coming back from major elbow surgery to the point where you felt like you could finally spot the ball again? 
Um, it just, it was just time. I think it just, I just wasn't ready, you know, physically I felt like I was ready, but mentally, and then just kind of feeling myself down the mound again, I think that's just time that, uh, really that, I mean, that's a, that's a big part of just being away from the game. I mean, I know you can watch it and all that stuff, but there's a lot different when you're on the mound and there's a hitter in the box and your job is to get him out. Um, so I think it was just time. And then the more time and the more confident I got in myself and then, just really feeling myself down the mound and feeling how everything felt. And then obviously from the surgery, it taught me how to really take care of myself and, and try to stay as health as, as healthy as possible for the, for the rest of my career. Mm. And, you know, as, as we mentioned, you were taken in the 29th round as you were basically recovering from Tommy John surgery, trying to build yourself up again, hadn't pitched that year. What pitcher do you think you would be had you decided to sign and how close are you actually signing uh, to signing with the D-backs at that point? Um, I don't I, – I always wanted to go back to school. Uh, I thought my sophomore year we were – we had an extremely talented group of, uh, of players, uh, and I thought that we could make a run and, and win a WAC championship and, and make a run in the postseason just because we were kind of a, a dangerous team and we were pretty stacked with, with talent from the arm standpoint and, and we could swing it, so – when I went down my sophomore year, I always felt like there was just a little bit of unfinished business, and I felt like I owed it to my team and all and all uh, like all my brothers that I played with up there. And I felt like I needed to come back and and try and win a WAC championship because that's something that I've always wanted to do is to is to win a championship and make a make a run in the postseason because you never know what can happen in college baseball. So that's kind of where I was at mentally. You also put your name in the record books at Seattle um, across all kinds of different categories, and your strikeout numbers obviously stand out, maybe most among those, but wins and uh, one of the lowest ERAs in school history and all that. Um, to to look back on your time there and the fact that it was you know, kind of um, up and down just in terms of the, the health and still know that you put that body of work together, um, being a little bit removed from that now, what does that feel like? I mean, there's very likely you know, 10 years down the road, 15 25 however long you're going to be one of the guys that gets honored at an alumni day or uh you know there's a Tarek Skubal day for the Red Hawks as they have a home series I mean that's that's got to be something pretty amazing even despite the fact that you missed an entire season with Tommy John surgery uh I, I try not to think about that too much you know those guys gave me an opportunity to play division one baseball and the coaching staff up there believed in me my teammates believed in me and then I think that's more important as I only had one division one offer and and they gave it to me, and I and I took it, and they believed in me from day one, and uh, and they do a great job up there. They, they care about every single athlete that comes in, every single baseball player that comes in. They really care about them, and um, they gave me the foundation to to try and work hard and and make the best of my situation. So. I mean, that's, I've got a lot of respect for the coaching staff up there. What is the, the reaction like from the guys that you played with there, your coaches there, uh, Red Hawks fans, the, and even you know going back to high school and the people who watched you grow up, to see where you are right now, being a guy who they got to cheer for in school, they got to know a ninth-round pick, and now all of a sudden you're a top 100 prospect in baseball. What's it like having their support as you get now to the upper minor leagues in your career and just your, your second season in pro ball? It's huge to have the support of the city I'm from and the, and the coaches that I played with and even the teammates. I mean, I feel like that's a huge part. I, I bonded a lot with uh, the players up there, and they still support me and reach out and text me. And, that, and I think that's really awesome because this game can beat you up sometimes, and, and it's important to have that support system around you and a, and a good foundation to kind of go and pursue uh, my dream. All right, Tarek, uh, you know, speaking of all the changes that have happened here and, uh, you know, now that we are in your second off season, essentially, how is this different for you? Is it different for you at all? You know, knowing that you come off a full season of success, a hundred plus innings, uh, you know, trying to prep for even more than that going into next year, you know, looking back on where you were last December, uh, how does that compare to where you are now? Uh, I feel a lot more comfortable in, in what is expected of me and what I expect of myself. So now it's just taking care of my body and trying to get as strong as I can so that way I can I can put up with a full season of work and, and be able to go every fifth day and give it the best that I got. So that's, that's kind of my focus right now is just getting as strong, getting healthy, um, 
and that, and that's pretty much just the goal right now. Mm. And we have you on for what's essentially our last show of 2019. So we're looking a lot forward, you know, to 2020 and, and taking those next steps and, and starting to look at spring training here coming up. But when you look at 2020, I don't know if you're a big resolutions guy, but uh, if you had any goal for the next year as you enter your second year of pro ball, what is the main goal outside of, you know, just staying healthy? Uh, just to go have fun. Um, just, just go have fun and enjoy it and enjoy the, however many games I play, however many starts I make and enjoy all the stuff that is, is around, I mean, what I'm doing. I think that's important is just to go have fun and enjoy what you're doing and enjoy going to the baseball field every day. Pretty cool stuff. Derek Skubel is uh, the fourth-ranked prospect in the Tigers organization, number 74 overall in baseball. You can follow him on Twitter at Derek Skubel there. And, uh, man, congrats on all success, and uh, enjoy the holidays, and best of luck heading into 2020. We'll be following. Yeah, same goes for you. Thank you, guys. No Benjamin Hill this week, who is uh, out today. So, in uh, one of our final, I guess this is our final episode of the year? We didn't really talk about this off air. Are we going to do one in between the, uh... no, probably not. What do we do? How do we do this? I don't remember what we do. No, (laughs) Every year we get to the end of the year and I'm like, what do we do for these? I mean, it's just kind of a weird (laughs) year because Christmas and the holidays is on a Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, New Year's is also on a Wednesday. Wednesday. Right. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to be off for a little while. Uh, but, yeah, so this will be our last of the year. It's a good time for this segment with Ben out. I think we're going to explore a little bit about what made the 2019 calendar year special uh, when it comes to prospects and farm systems and things of that nature. Let's do it. Uh, we'll uh, We'll dive in for the... Uh, third segment in today's show in which we discuss the things that we learned in 2019 um, and what we will carry forward into 2020 and beyond from this year. What, When you look back at the 2019 season, Sam, what, uh, this, the theme of this year, the things that stand out most to you, what would you say they are? I don't, I don't know if there was a great theme in terms of you know what happened with prospects. The first thing that sticks out to me, I think, is uh, the fact that like I, I go back to the beginning of the year and one of the the great things that happened in, in at least prospect coverage was the fact that uh, teams seemed to, like the there was like a crest in this decision making and that Pete Alonzo, Fernando Tatis Jr. and Chris Paddock opened the year on opening day rosters. Um, teams deciding, hey, it's worth it to us to have a full year of our best players and these guys are our best players. Uh, you know, it's something we've been beating against the wall for a long time of if a guy is major league ready, he should get major league time um, and service time clocks have something to do with that. And sometimes we don't see guys coming up until mid or late April. Uh, but the fact that that changed this year in three pretty, you know, high quality cases uh, was was really fun to see. I, I enjoyed that. Uh, hopefully th- we can mark 2019 as a turning point in that, you know, maybe somebody like a Luis Robert uh, starting 2020 in the majors would be another good sign in, in that way. Uh, we'll have to see if, if this is just an outlier or part of a growing trend. I would love it to become a growing trend, but right now 2019 stands out in that way. Um, in terms of who really improved, I mean, we could talk about breakout prospects. We've done tons of that. Dylan Carlson was our breakout prospect of the year in terms of somebody who we think differently of now than we did the beginning of the year. But uh, I think the Miami Marlins system looks a lot better now than it did at the beginning of the year. Uh, I think they made a lot of internal improvements. I think adding Jazz Chisholm it kind of shrewdly in the way that they did. Uh, was very interesting. And even before that, Zach Allen was a very good player. They added Jesus Sanchez, Braxton Garrett is healthy. Trevor Rogers is healthy. Edward Cabrera is a breakout prospect. They draft J.J. Blade, who is one of the best hitters in college. Um, that's a system that looks tremendously better. The Seattle Mariners system looks tremendously better uh, at a time when they really need that to happen. But uh, it 
it's a while until I get excited about a player when I'm looking at the, the Mariners' top 30, uh, until I'm not excited, I should say. Jared Kelnick at number one, Julio Rodriguez at number two, Logan Gilbert at number three, Evan White, who signed a new deal and, and probably will be with the opening day roster uh, at number four, Justin Dunn, who's got major league experience now at number five, uh, even Kyle Lewis is number 10, and he was their first-round pick a couple of years ago. Um, you know, this Mariner system added a lot of upside, obviously, in getting guys like Kelnick and Dunn from the Mets last year. It seems like that could be the steal of at least the decade when it comes to prospect trades. Uh, but Rodriguez popping off in his first stateside season was really, really neat to see. And, and White continuing to grow. And, and that Arkansas team is somebody we talked about a bunch this year. Uh, so those those two guys or those two systems, I think, were maybe most improved and, and some some teams that we learned the most about uh, in 2019. And I guess the other one that really sticks out to me in, in terms of on-field performance uh, was the AAA ball. I mean, we just saw offense take off in the International League and the Pacific Coast League. We've always known the PCL to be really offensively friendly, obviously. And we always take that with a grain of salt. But when guys were tearing it up in the I.L. as well, okay, well, there's something here to that. Uh, Major League Baseball did a study on the ball, this year, they, they realized that, uh, you know, the scenes aren't as high as they used to be. It, and, you know, according to the study, um, it's really difficult to get that consistency that you want. So sometimes balls are going to have less drag than would be ideal. And that's how balls sail all over the place. Uh, apparently, there was also something involved with air drying the balls, which is what they used to do, which now that they had a higher increase in production because they needed so many of these types of baseballs for both Major League Baseball and AAA. Uh, they decided to heat dry them. That also affected the balls in a, in a way. We'll have to see how that's going to move going forward. But, um, yeah, with so many guys taking off at AAA, we had to kind of keep that. I looked at WRC Plus, I think, more this year than I normally do, just because at least that controls for league environments uh, in ways that other stats won't. You look at OPS, you look at home runs. Uh, so many guys hit 30 or more home runs in AAA this year. And you want to be like, that's great. What happened? It's like, well, they played in a different environment than they pre previously did. Um, so, again, that's going to require more study and keep a, a firmer eye on going forward. But it was definitely something different in 2019 that we hadn't seen before. Uh, in terms of stuff that stuck out to you, Tyler, what, what kind of seemed different about this year or what did you learn as the months went on? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I echo a lot of what you said. Um, the I I just love how over the last couple of years, it doesn't really feel like the top end prospects in baseball have been whiffs. You know what I mean? Like, I think we've gotten down to a lot more of a not an exact science predicting prospects and what they're eventually going to be at the big league level is always, you know, extraordinarily difficult. But I feel like it gets rarer and rarer every year that we see prospects make this climb. They make their way into the top 50 and the top 25 and the top 10. Then they graduate and all of a sudden they're very good major league players like the the difference, I think, between being an elite level minor leaguer and being a very good major leaguer has shrunk uh, in recent years and yeah I mean you know Vlad Guerrero Jr. goes up and looks human for a little while at the major league level which is something that he did not look at all the minor league level that's going to happen but it gives fans I think a chance to get excited about if you were a Rays fan and you look at Wander Franco now and you look at his body of work in Bowling Green and in Charlotte this year uh, you envision what he looks like as the face of your franchise for a little while Gavin Lux and certainly didn't come out of nowhere, uh, but was a guy who came into last season and two years ago being a little bit less known than some of the other talent that was climbing up in that system. Then all of a sudden, he's the number two ranked prospect in baseball. Luis Robert, we've known about him for a little while. Mackenzie Gore, sort of the same way. Joe Adele, uh, a tough start to the season with the injuries and all that. He comes back and finishes strong. Um, it's just all of these guys you kind of know are on the doorstep and they're going to be there and they're going to be great. That's really uh, been so fun to watch, especially in the last couple of years with, you know, the Ronald Acunas of the world and the Juan Sotos of the world and uh, the players who have immediately jumped in and made these massive impacts. I mean, going back to my first season uh, at MILB.com, you know, it was Carlos Correa then, and shortly after that it was Alex Bregman. And um, there are such easy ways 
to fall in love with a guy as you watch him climb the ranks and then all of a sudden you hear about him every single night on MLB Network and you're reading about him online and you're watching uh, the next era of you know the kids now in Major League Baseball. Um, Pete Alonso, as Sam touched on a little while ago, being one of the guys who gets a start the season on a big league roster, not worried about the service time thing, none of that, becomes a National League Rookie of the Year, a tremendously likable guy, which we knew through his time coming up in the minor leagues, somehow he's become more likable in the major leagues, which is not an easy thing to do. Um, but that is, uh, I continue to be amazed by that every year that we see these guys, we see them climb, and then all of a sudden they're there, and it's like, oh yeah, this is what was forecasted for you. <laughs> it's kind of what we expected. And uh, in a business where so much is inexact, it's pretty cool to see how exact that has become. Now, obviously, it's not always the case. I mean, we see guys who fall off and their their shine uh, dims a little bit from year to year. But um, watching some of these dudes who have just erupted into the prospect conversation in recent years and then all of a sudden are on the major league level making big impacts, that never gets old. No, not at all. Um, and one of the other interesting things, too, is uh, – you know, you kind of mentioned this. It's even more interesting to see who works out and who doesn't in terms of uh, what happens when they get there. You know, Alonzo doing what he did, like you said, shouldn't be a surprise to anybody who knew he won the Bauman Home Run Award. But the fact that he that translated just as quickly and then you have right. guys like Gavin Lux coming up. And I know it's the end of a long season and you're getting tested, whatever. Alonzo had a full year to grow, but Gavin Lux didn't quite take off the way we expected, given how he torched everywhere else he played in 2019. Uh, Vlad Jr. is another great example. You know, he comes up and, and doesn't, I wouldn't say struggle. He didn't struggle. He just didn't live up to the hype. And that's because he's super young, you know, we, which is something we always said. He was doing stuff in the minors when he was super young that uh, he didn't. But then you have Bo Bichette, who was right there alongside him, picking up extra base hits on a nightly basis. Um and, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that their development is over. Development does not stop in the major leagues. Uh, but to get more answers on these guys with the closer they got and then to get completely different answers by the time they actually saw top-level pitching was, was a lot of fun and uh, definitely educational, I would say. Yeah. Um, going into 2020, what are the things that you feel like are the, the biggest lessons from this year that we take into next year? Uh, one thing that I, I, I don't know if we've ever really said this this much on the, this podcast, but it's a very well-known saying in baseball is there's no such thing as a pitching prospect. Um, I remember the beginning of the year being fully on board of the the Forrest Whitley train, you know, the, the Kyle Wright train, thinking like, okay, these guys are really going to impact the major yeah. leagues this year. And for various reasons, that didn't happen. Whitley had some injuries he was going through, uh, but was really ineffective at AAA to begin the year. Wright had a couple looks at the majors, but never broke through at AAA in the way we thought, even though his stuff seemed to be relatively there. Um, I, I just feel like pitchers are so much more volatile. And just when we think, you know, like a Mackenzie Gore, he's he's basically what Whitley was a year ago at this point. Mackenzie Gore, uh, you know, I mentioned him before for the all MILB team, best left-handed pitcher in minor league baseball this year, getting super excited, thinking like, okay, the Padres are basically planning for him to get to the majors next year. None of them will say that on record, but you feel like it's true between him and Luis Patino. And who knows what happens when he gets to AAA? Maybe he falters with the ball. Maybe, you know, he ha he has a history of blister problems. What happens when he throws with a new one? Uh, you know, thinking you have the answers based on one year alone, especially with pitching, where one little tweak, one lot, you know, small loss of effectiveness can make a huge difference uh, is something I always have to remind myself, but especially after a year like this one. And uh, the 2019 season obviously has uh, closed out with some crazy stuff in uh, the the championship runs. We saw some insane performances. Uh, you know, the Texas League final comes to mind with the, the big rally late. And uh, some moments that I think uh, – stitch themselves into your mind that you will remember forever is there anything from the 2019 season that you really feel like oh yeah that's going to be the the lingering thing we ran through the best games the best performances all that type of stuff uh on the site you can go back and find those stories um what about 2019 what's the kind of lingering game or moment or performance that you think you'll remember looking back on this season yeah um 
I mean, we did, this is the easy answer and uh, anybody who reads the site will know that th this is probably coming, but the fact that Casey Mize uh, threw a no hitter in his double A debut uh, was just insane. I love it when guys do come up with hype and, and you validate know, it and validate it and fulfill it that quickly was awesome. Obviously Mize had some issues the rest of the way, uh, but to, you know, for somebody who we thought could be pushed really aggressively and then came up and pitched for Erie and threw a no hitter in, in that first one, uh, was, was kind of amazing. Um, you know, the amount of like four Homer games this year, I feel like was pretty high. Will Benson's being one of them that stuck out. Uh, the amount of cycles we had was up this year to kind of single one out would be a little weird. We talked about that Lancaster, Lake Elsinore, crazy game, uh, what it that's one of those games in which you always think like oh yeah this game's over i can i can leave now and then you're like well there was that time somebody came back from down what was it down 10 yep. down with 10, one out to down go. to their yeah. final strike yeah and uh i i love stuff like that where you're just like oh no this isn't just some theoretical thing like oh theoretically they could come back and do that uh they actually did come back and, and win the game reminds me a lot of yeah, when I was at BU our freshman year, we won the national hockey title uh, despite being down two goals with a minute left. We scored twice in the final minute, scored in overtime. And every hockey Against game I go Miami to Miami of now, Ohio, correct? Miami of Ohio, that's correct, 2009. Um, every hockey game I go to from now on, I don't care what the, the score is. It could be down four goals with two minutes left. I still think like, oh, well, you know, there's somebody who could pull a Matt Gilroy and do a backhanded pass to Zach Cohen for, for the game winner or to Nick Benino or whatever. Uh, you know, games like that, and because the minor leagues are so vast and so big and there's so many games every day, the possibility of this happening minor league wide is higher than you think it would be uh, even to your specific game if you're going to a game never doubt that that could be the special one in minor league baseball that night uh, because the potential is always there and uh, we encourage you to uh, tweet your favorite MILB memories from the season at us or send us an email, uh, get in touch however you would like. Uh, we're both on Twitter, Sam's at Sam Dykstra, MILB. I am at Tyler Mon. The show email address is podcast at MILB.com. And uh, we'll share some of your minor league baseball love if you get in touch with some of your favorite moments from the uh, 2019 season. It doesn't even have to be just baseball related. You can give us the, the pictures of your kids with a mascot or uh, your dog at Bark in the Park night, whatever it is, get in touch. And uh, we will be happy to pass it along in this uh time of year when we celebrate things and uh also they host drone races and <laughs> stadiums because we're all bored and looking for something to do that isn't baseball so uh with that we'll be back to wrap up the show next Wrapping up this week's episode of the show before the show, uh, one more reminder, over 90 minor league baseball teams will vie for the Copa de la Diversión crown in 2020, each with an identity as unique and impactful as its area's Hispanic community. Follow minor league baseball on social at MILB and the Copa website at MILB.com slash fans slash Copa to find out more about the initiative's newest members. And uh, we're saying goodbye for 2019. Yeah. No. And, you know, as we always say, we, we've done this for Thanksgiving, but uh, it, it always bears repeating. Thank you to everybody who's listened in 2019. Uh, thank you for you know reaching out to us, telling us you've listened. Um, you know, the amount of people I meet on the road, you know, when I go to a futures game or go to the winter meetings and people bring up the podcast and uh, say they've listened to this interview or that interview or they listen every week. Uh, we're grateful for you whenever you've joined us, however you've joined us. Uh, 2019 was a great season, not across just minor league baseball, not just for the site, not just for the show. But, um, you know, I think for all all parties involved with this, speaking on behalf of Ben, who isn't here right now, but uh, and for Tyler, you know, I'm grateful for everybody who listens to us, who participates in the show in some way. You guys make this great. You guys push us to do this every week and uh, bring you guys news across the minors and um, hopefully keep you updated on guys you will be hearing in the actual show uh, before long. So thank you for everything you guys have done for us in 2019. We'll see you on the other side in 2020 and can't wait to bring you everything that's to come. And, you know, for us to be surprised and uh, to see what's to come because we never really know what's around the corner. He's Sam. I'm Tyler. We'll talk to you then. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.